Well, the COVID restrictions are vanishing and confluence of people mixing appears to have returned. Well, whether this is all too premature remains to be seen. In fact, according to some commentators, there have been some actual benefits to the terrible pandemic in some businesses. And it was this that prompted me to ask some people in the credit union world, both in the UK and in Ireland, are there any post-pandemic benefits that have remained in place or at least changed strategies or thinking for the future? I spoke with four well-known figures in the credit union world, starting with Dave McCauley, the chief exec at Donor Credit Union in Dublin. Now, some of you will know that Donor Credit Union is Ireland's oldest credit union and its origins can be traced back to 1958. The credit union has assets over 34 million euros and a membership of around 4,500. I started out by asking Dave, what changes did you make to cope with the lockdown in Ireland? We'd already moved to a number of online services, card payment services. We quickly added online payment service as well through our website. We added more channels for over-the-phone payments and for people to simply ring in. So over-the-phone payments really ramped up. We encouraged a lot of people to do more direct debits, EFTs. Uh, obviously, footfall significantly fell during that period, but the repayment and the, and the arrears profile didn't uh, change. We, we just added on a lot more services uh, and a lot more facilities. It was something we'd already planned to do, but some of those were just, you know, escalated up. We also now, we, we, during the period, we, we moved to offering full online loan applications. So from start to finish, including drawdown in terms of digital signatures. And we also now offer a full member onboarding as well. So members can, can join the credit union without actually coming in here. So of those systems, Dave... Are you going to be keeping any of those systems or are you going to be taking them down again? No, absolutely not. We're, they're, they're part of our service offering now. They're, they're locked in uh, and they're going to be available going forward for the future. In fact, we're going to enhance the services. One of the things that, that COVID actually demonstrated to us is that there's a lot more uh, opportunity for a credit union, even a smaller, mid-sized credit union like ourselves, to really add more services and, and just improve the convenience of, of, of our service offerings to our members, providing all the online services, but still retaining that very vital face-to-face member focus that we're, uh, and we've got to kind of manage that, uh, and we're doing that, and we're doing that quite well. So we are adding on additional staff, but our income has significantly improved over the, over the last uh, two years. An interesting point, Chris, just in terms of longer-term lending, and a lot of people, a lot of colleagues, uh, you know, sometimes miss this is that when you do the larger loans and the longer term lending what can happen is that those loans tend to stick so you're going to generate income for four years or five years well the smaller loans tend to be paid down quicker so the use of side-by-side loans we we really encourage that so people were, were coming in and getting the larger home improvement loans and we're still getting the holiday loans so side-by-side loan, talk us through that. Okay, so we, we, we would see a situation where, where traditionally people would say, I have to, they're under this mis, uh, misunderstanding uh, that they, they have a limit on what they could borrow from the credit union. So, so often they think, to themselves, if I borrow my €3,000 from my holiday, I can't go near the credit union for my car loan. So we actually do it the other way. say, listen, we're available for all your lending. So what we do is we, we, for people, let's say, with the the crack in the wall that's now torn to a whole uh, room extension, uh, we will give them the 20 or 40,000 euros over 10 years. 
and that meets their repayment and they're, they're able to pay that down. But equally, we say to them, listen, we are available here for your, for your car loan or your Christmas loan or if the washing machine breaks down. And you can still come back in and you can pay that at a, at a, at a different interest rate. But it's a side-by-side loan and you, and you pay that. And normally what happens is they, they will leave the 20 grand loan sitting there, ticking away over the five years, and they'll come in and, and, and pay the holiday loan because in their mind, they still want to get the holiday loan for next year, so they'll pay it down quicker. Good explanation. Thanks, Dave. I then spoke to Dermot O'Neill, Chief Executive of the Scottish League of Credit Unions. The Scottish League of Credit Unions represents over 30 credit unions. I started by asking Dermot, on his travels around his credit unions, what did he picked up in terms of how credit unions had fared during the pandemic? It's been a mixed bag, Chris, as you can imagine. I think if we even go back a wee bit to, to when it started to understand how people have, are coming out of it. And I think essentially our credit unions fell into four main groups. I think the first group was what we would call the mothball group. The, the first group that kind of I just dug in, closed their offices, we really limited thought beyond today in terms of that immediate safety. And that kind of a mothball mentality stuck for some for a wee while. And then you had a kind of second group that what we call the, the pretending group, where they kind of tried to ride the storm and wait for a return to normal. But there was just a kind of continuing uncertainty around what to do, what not to do. They attempted to do business as usual, but with reduced capacity and custom. Then you started to have what we call the, the rea- reacting group. So they were similar to pretending, but they were kind of behaving more proactively. They didn't want to make changes, but they accepted they needed to make some changes. And they were thinking about and trying different ways to, to navigate what was happening. And then we had the, the kind of latter group, the more dynamic group, which we call the embracing group, where they essentially recognised that the world had changed and was changing and was going to stay changed. And that group essentially undertook full strategic and tactical reviews. They essentially drew a line in the sand and said, let's look forward. We can we can, we can can glance back at what we used to do and why we used to do it, but let's draw a sand now and recognise, sorry, let's draw a line in the sand and recognise that the landscape's changed and therefore we as a credit union needs to change. And those were the credit unions that kind of had digitised and deployed new products and services not just digital products and services, but but looking at how members engage with the credit unions. And it's really, it's that latter group. It's the group that didn't resist the change. It's the group that did embrace the opportunities. It's the group that wanted to be better, not just survive. It's really that group that's emerged strongest at this stage, certainly from what, from where we've been. I thought it might be useful to ask an allied business leader who currently works with credit unions. Anthony Morrow co-founded the Manchester-based company Open Money in 2016, and he set the business up to combat with the failings of the financial advice and investment industry. With a workforce of over 100 people, I asked him how did Open Money cope with staffing during and after the pandemic? Well, definitely the remote working was something that we adopted very early in the whole uh, pandemic. And and we sort of effectively did our own lockdown about a week before the formalities. Uh, I'd, I'd had a trip down to London 
on maybe the Thursday, and it was a ghost town. And you know, I'd been traveling to London enough in my career to know that you know, not normal. There'd been that build-up, obviously, within the press, but also within the business of people saying, I'm not comfortable using public transport or coming into the office. Uh, I want to work from home. And so we made the decision on the Friday to say, right, okay, uh, everyone works from home and we'll do it for three months. So regardless of where we get what the business government tells us, what we want, if we're going to work from home, we want surety. We don't want to be going you know, every two weeks, what we're doing next week. So we'll just say for three months, uh, we'll do that. Uh, and so we did that. So we tried to give the staff something certain. And then we also said, look, regardless of what happened, your jobs are secure. You know, we think, you know, we're in a, business is growing, we've got loads to do. So we can take that worry away from you. And if we're being a bit pessimistic about the three months, <laughs> then don't worry about it. Uh, we'll, we'll come back, but, you know, we'll, we'll say three months just for it. Now, obviously, you know, <laughs> you know. bizarrely, what, what we saw, we didn't see any sort of drop in productivity. Now, as a business, you know, we don't make anything. So we're not, you know, we, we're not a manufacturing business. We don't have any real customer space. So we don't have, you know, we're not like shops, but, you know, we're not hospitality. So actually the the transition from, from working in the office to working at home largely, certainly in the short term, was pretty, pretty simple and didn't lead to much impact. So rather than it be you're always in the office, you only come into the office when you when, when, when there's a real requirement for you for, for you to come into. And if you don't want to come into the office, then you don't have to. But if you do want to come in, then it's available for you. And that last part was quite interesting because what was very clear was that trying to have a broad brush approach wasn't going to work. You know, we have if people, you know, people, different ages, different places in life, different circumstances who all have different needs. For, so for someone like me, who's, you know, who's got a family who lives not in the city centre and has got a garden, then actually that move to working from home, certainly in the first couple of months when the weather was fantastic and, you know, Netflix was a new thing. That was quite simple. But then you remember that you've got people who live in the city centre. And one of the big attractions to living in the city centre was everything that goes around it. And that just that was just shut. You know, there was no, none of the, you know, bars, restaurants, entertainment, arts, all of that lot gone. So you were in living on your own and, you know, you're either living on your own or you were living in a one bedroom flat with your partner who was also having to work from home. You know, so actually it becomes quite claustrophobic. So, so it's it's difficult, you know. And we, we I think what the position we're in is that we'll have this. If you want to work, come into the office, you can do. If you if you want to work from home forever, you can do. But there will be occasions where, as a team, you know, you'll be required to come in, and that's both from a business, but also from a creativity point of view. Anthony, what about? Planning for the future, planning for whatever requirements you might have for staff accommodation in Manchester. What are your plans with that? Funnily enough, uh, we we are due to move offices in May of this year. The original place we were in, or we are in at the moment, which is in St Peter's Square in in, in Manchester. You know, we, we we've got a lot of space in there that you know we don't use. You know, we're probably not even using 50% of that capacity at the moment, in, you know, even less when we had social distancing rules uh, in place. 
so that has been, you know, one of those, you know, you just got to suck it up and that's, that's just life really. You have a conversation with the landlords and, you know, they're, they're either good ones or they're not good ones and you move. But in terms of the question, what sort of space do we need for the future? That same question is still being asked, but it's, it's very different. It's not a case of, right, well, we're going to go from where we are now, which is, I think, 80 people to 150 people. How do we accommodate those? It's like, well, how do we accommodate 150 people when only some of them are coming in every now and again? And it, and it means that people just don't have a desk. They don't have their own desk. Really. And finally, I spoke with Robert Kelly, Chief Executive Officer at ABCO. I asked Robert, what was his experience having spoken to many of his own credit unions regarding the impact of the pandemic and indeed the way in which they came out of it? I think for a, a lot of credit unions across the country, particularly those at community level that had a face-to-face service, which was more prominent than maybe some of our more industrial payroll uh, deduction-led credit unions, I think they, they had to pivot, they had to change, uh, particularly from a cash perspective, you know, the interaction with members face-to-face or in branches, etc. I think that's changed. I think a lot of them implemented IT solutions very quickly. We've talked about this before, I think, in the podcast, Chris, that actually the early days of the pandemic showed to me that credit unions could cope with change and change and be innovative and agile. And actually, I think there's a huge benefit, and I think that will continue. So for those credit unions that have implemented those new new way of workings, I think they'll stay. And I think members members of the credit unions, I think their behaviours in lots of cases, not in every case, but in lots of cases, I think will have probably changed forever. Robert, has there been any credit unions fail? There have there have been cases where credit unions have went to, to the FACS, which is which is always unfortunate. It's not, you know, it's, it's in no way ideal to see to see communities and, and workplaces lose uh, lose a local uh, credit union. I think the, the, the trend analysis in that is, and, and I don't think this is a big point in terms of uh, volunteering. Uh, we've seen some credit unions where they're wholly dependent on volunteers and volunteer board members that are doing a lot of the operational tasks as well. And actually, they, in some cases, they've suffered from COVID, from illness. In some cases, I think they've re-evaluated their volunteering and the, and the time they spend on certain things. You know, and I think you, you hear this term, the, the great resignation. And I don't necessarily think the credit union sector has been hugely impacted by it. But we saw cases where individual credit unions that have a key person dependency. And because of COVID or because of circumstances, that person's had to remove themselves. In some cases, very unfortunately, have died because of the pandemic. Actually, that's put a lot of pressure on the individual credit unions in the business model. So I think succession planning is a key element of how we look at this, what impact does it have in the, sh- the short, medium and longer term? Will people reevaluate their lives after what we've lived through and decide that maybe they want to scale back and not have as many commitments? And I think ultimately that might have an impact on certain types of credit unions across the country. Robert, in what way did the regulator show concern about the health and wealth of credit unions during the lockdown? I think the regulators were concerned in different ways. I think our initial analysis was, will there be a run in terms of deposits? Will, you know, will people be taking cash out to try and replace maybe lost income, you know, use their savings? Ultimately, the exact opposite happened, as we know. And so I think those liquidity concerns didn't come to pass. But certainly the you know, credit unions were having to face 
with a lot of demand for payment holidays and flexibility, forbearance, which they handled exceptionally well. You know, because I think because of furloughing some other you know, support mechanisms, we probably didn't see as much of uh, the cases we, we were worried about you know, in terms of uh, failure to pay or in terms of you know, insolvency. But the reality is there might still be a tail to some of that. There was obviously depressed demand for lending in the, in the early period, and that's continued for a lot of credit unions. And I think the concern would be that for those loan books that are starting, you know, where credit unions have a lot of shorter-term loans, I think the reality is they, they're going to suffer now in terms of interest income. Uh, and it will be around about this period or maybe in the months gone past. So, and I think from consumer member accessibility perspective, I think that, you know there were some credit unions that were just closed completely in the early days. And, and that obviously concerned the regulator from the, the perspective where members able to interact, were they able to get access to their savings, were they able to make repayments and loans, etc. Now, that was a relatively small amount of cases and there were some protocols put in place, particularly around managing cash and stuff. And credit unions, again, stepped up to the mark. So I think the regulator, like everybody, just felt there was so much uncertainty. Thankfully, we don't believe that the impact has been as severe. I still worry in terms of debt repayments, personal insolvency, that maybe some of that is still to appear in front of our members in the wider sector. I think the additional bit now, you've almost had the perfect storm uh, around the pandemic, the impact that that created. Some people were earning more and spending less, depending on their job. Some people were certain demographics, certain economies and and different job profiles, retail, hospitality, were badly affected. Some of our member credit unions that have a bigger demographic in those areas saw a bigger impact, whereas some of our members, member credit unions, their members, their households were actually probably earning more and spending less. So there's been differences of, of opinions in the last couple of years. I think the impending problem for me is the cost of living crisis that we now have. That coming alongside the tail end of a pandemic could have severe consequences for the rest of this year. Robert, listening to yourself and to the other commentators on this podcast, it sounds as if some credit unions have really used this terrible time that we've had to go through as a way of finding a new strength, almost like a new way forward. I think it sounds quite positive. I, I would totally agree, Chris. I think for me... The word, the word that I've used commonly is resilience. I think credit unions have been resilient. I think their boards, staff, uh, volunteers have been incredibly resilient in the face of such uncertainty and you know, within, across the world, not just, not just here. Uh, and I think, I think members have as well. You know, we have to remember the, the volume of people we've lost to this disease and you know, this pandemic in this country is huge. And, uh, you know, and, and, and it's, it's probably touched every facet every part of a credit union business model, whether that's LPLS claims in terms of you know, death rates, whether that's, as I say, de- depressed demand for lending in most cases, additional savings, people just trying to, to save more and be a bit more resilient. So, you know, I, I, I think it's tested people to the max, but as always, the credit union sector's reacted in the, in the right way. And I think they've put members first. And, you know, and listen, that's what we do every day of the week. So there we have it. A lot happened in two years since back in 2020 when the World Health Organization declared COVID-19 a global pandemic. 
And as the world now stares down year three of this crisis and how it's affected so many lives and livelihoods, it's been good of our four guests to help us look at how it's affected credit union business and what might come next. It doesn't all sound so depressing. In fact, it sounds quite positive. And I think one's got to admire the strength of credit union volunteers, directors, employees, and of course, members. So my thanks go to Dave McCauley, Dermot O'Neill, Anthony Morrow, and Robert Kelly. Thanks for being great guests.